chapter number one. I'm going to read. My text is, is really is 16 verses, so I'll let you remain seated there. 1 Peter chapter number one, we'll begin reading in verse number one. Well, so we're saved. We're on our way to heaven when we die. Um, part of me wishes that uh, the moment I got saved, he takes me to heaven. It'd be wonderful, wouldn't it? Uh, we still got to live in this old wicked, rotten world and deal with what I used to hear, don't hear it much anymore, deal with those smutty face and uh, deal with him. And probably the worst thing we have to deal with is our own natural flesh. And, um, but as a child of God, now we have, according to Romans chapter number 7, the Apostle Paul, I'm so thankful for Paul, because he describes the, uh, the turmoil that's in each and every one of us as a, as, a, as a child of the king. We have the old nature battling the new nature, and the pursuit of everyone's life at the time of becoming a Christian now is to be conformed to the image of Christ. And we want to live the way that God would have us live, the way he originally intended for us to live before the sin nature took over. And so I would come to 1 Peter chapter uh, number 1, and look at, uh, let's look at these first 16 verses here. The Bible says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love, in whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls." Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify, when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us, they did minister the things which are now re reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven." which things the angels desire to look into. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. That's a lengthy passage of Scripture. I'll just tell you right now, the first 12 verses are a serious encouragement, and the last four verses that we read are an injunction to us to live holy. Father, please bless the time that we have tonight as we uh, go through 
some things that maybe would help us. I, I know they are very, very simple, but I hope they paint a picture to everyone here tonight that everyone will say, you know what, I can do that. I can do that. And so please be with us as we strive to become more like you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So in, in verse number 16, our text tells us to be holy. It's an interesting, interesting word. We've heard it many, many times. Be. If you're an English major, the word be is a state of being verb. It's not an action verb. It's a state of being. And when God said be holy, it's, un, it, it's, it's important for us to understand that he was not commanding us to do holy things. He wants us to become something. And so I, I want to major on that. I want you to understand that we're going to be talking about being holy, not relegating the Christian life to a list of do's and don'ts, okay? Because I think we've, we've done that in the Christian life. And I think a lot of people, I've talked to people when I, when I witness to people, I've heard them say to me, I've tried the Christian life and it just doesn't work for me. Well, the reason that they tried the Christian life is because they have this idea that it's all about do, 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 don't, 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 and it's all about this checklist that you, I've got to go to Sunday school, I've got to go to church, I've got to go to uh, morning service, evening service, Wednesday service, I've got to give my tithes and offerings, I've got to go help 50 old ladies across the street, I've got to do, 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 and I'm not allowed to have any fun. And what we've turned Christianity into is a list of do's and don'ts rather than a list of I'm becoming something. And so uh, I, I, that's what I want to key on tonight. Be ye holy, for I am holy. My uh, career in the Air Force, short-lived as it was in 10 years, was to be a computer programmer. And I had only been minorly exposed to it. I was telling someone this morning, I actually got kicked out of Purdue um, because I did not want to be there, and I skipped a calculus final exam just so I could sit and play cards. Uh, I didn't want to be there. I was terrible. I was miserable. And uh, so I ended up joining the Air Force like I had wanted to before to become a computer programmer. Well, I hadn't been exposed to it much yet, and so you can say I was not a computer programmer. But I went through their schooling, and through their schooling, they had us do a lot of things and repeat things over and over and over again. They taught us. They gave us what they wanted us to know. In other words, they gave us knowledge. They had teachers and instructors to make us understand the why of what we were doing. So they gave us understanding. And then they forced us to actually write programs that did things so that we could put into practice the knowledge and the understanding that they gave us. That's called wisdom. So God has given us a book telling us what he wants us to know. This is the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm getting ahead of myself, but Jesus himself is our instructor that gives us understanding. The Holy Spirit gives us understanding of what it is we're reading, and then, then comes in the do, 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 do. I'm not trying to take away the checklist. I'm trying to take away our focus on the checklist in lieu of becoming what that checklist wants us to become. And so uh, they trained me, and they, they tested me, and they gave me knowledge, understanding, and made me do what it was that they wanted me to do. And lo and behold, I graduated and got stamped across my forehead, computer programmer. I became a computer programmer. Now, 
upon graduation from that technical school, you don't need to answer this question, it's very intuitively obvious. Was I the most knowledgeable computer programmer ever to walk the face of the earth? Of course I was. Yeah. No. But I was enough of a computer programmer at that point that they sent me to a duty station and put me into a job, an awesome job, by the way. I got to work on war games for a living. That was awesome. Um, but I, I worked on war games, a two million lines of code war game that I got a particular part of. And so I spent my time doing all of the things that I'd, been lear- that I'd learned to do. And you know, I noticed something over time as I put into practice what it was they taught me. I learned over time that I began to do naturally what did not used to be natural to me. And I realized that I was constantly becoming more and more and more of a computer programmer. And all of the basics of computer programming now began to become ingrained in me And I began to do them by nature. But when God said, be holy, for I am holy, he certainly does have a checklist of do's and don'ts for us. You cannot get away from that. I'm not trying to say that we don't have it. It is throughout that entire book. But as we continue to do those things with the right focus, as we continue to do those things, you're going to notice in your Christian life, and you probably already have if you're 20 years old or older, and you've been saved for 5, 10, 15 years. You're going to notice in time, as you strive to be more Christ-like, and you become more Christ-like, there come times in life when you hit a crossroads, and you turn around, and you take stock of what you are as a person, and you go, wow, when did I give up that? When did I start doing that? You know why? Because the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you has turned your nature into something that he's wanting to turn it into. Doesn't mean you don't have problems and troubles and trials. None of us are ever going to reach perfect Christ-like perfection on this earth, but we should strive to do so. So, I'm not trying to take away the checklist, but I'm trying to take away our focus on the checklist. And so, I want to jump into the foundation of that command, be ye holy, for I am holy. In Leviticus 11, verse 44, that's the foundation of why Peter said it, okay? In Leviticus 11, 44, and you know the first five books of the Bible are written to God's children, God's people. And he said, for I I am the Lord your God, ye shall therefore sanctify yourselves, and ye shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall ye defile yourselves with any manner of creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So in Peter's epistle, in our text, he, that, that command is given because of those people being the children of God. Now, I, 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 that, that makes, uh, 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 has a lot of meaning to me because I have children. Uh, and I've had several of you ask, so I'm going to lay this to, to rest right now. My wife and kids are in Florida, the jerks. <laughs> um, they're down with my wife's sister. And um, otherwise, they would have all been here with me today, and I would have never been able to call them jerks. Um, but uh, uh, they're all down, down in Florida. But, uh, but I have children. I have three. I have a, a boy, girl, boy. And, and, I, and I like to say I have three alpha males in my family. <laughs> the boy, the girl, and the boy. Uh, she doesn't take anything off of them, that's for sure. But uh, um, 
I have three children, and I understand what God was, why he was giving this command right here. As Christians, and I'll put that word in quotes, Christian. That's what we call ourselves. The very name that we bear is perfection. And I've tried to train my children uh, to, not, to, to conduct themselves in such a way that when someone names the Glover name, that they won't get a bad impression of the Glover family because of the actions my children portray. So I've tried to teach them that, listen, you're, 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 and I've never specifically said it this way, but I've trained them this way, so you're a Glover. I don't want you to do something, and I don't want someone to go, oh, yeah, 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 that's a Glover kid. Rather, I would ha- like to have them say, oh, yeah, that's a Glover kid. You understand the difference between those two? Yeah, Uh, and so God, when he commands us to be holy, wants us to conduct ourselves in such a way that we will not bring reproach to his name. I want to be that way. And so there are a few things in the first 12 verses of 1 Peter that I want us to look at that, that, honestly, they kind of get me excited about this matter of trying to live a holy life because let's face it, living holy is not natural to our natural man. And that's why it becomes so difficult sometimes. And I have to put myself in check every once in a while and and make sure that I am focused properly, that it's not about the do's and don'ts, so much is it about becoming what he is like. And those are the things that are going to make me become what he is like. So in verse number 3, we are told that we have a lively hope. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The word hope is an interesting word. In the Bible, it is not the same type of hope that you and I define it as today. The word hope today is a word that's like a whimsical wish or desire. For example, I wish that one of you would walk up to me after the service and give me one million dollars. I hope you do. Is that going to happen? Uh-uh. That's what we use the word hope for today. I hope this happens, but knowing in ourselves is not going to. That is not what the Bible word for hope means. The Bible word for hope literally means confident expectation. Not whimsical wish confident expectation how can we have a confident expectation in our future eternal home for heaven because of the integrity of the one who made the promise so when we talk about a lively hope we are not talking about something well i hope it happens one day we are talking about some something that we are confidently expecting to happen hopefully soon a lively hope And he says, a lively hope, verse number four, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. God has given us an incorruptible, undefiled, eternal home in heaven. No wonder our hope can be way more than a whimsical wish, but it can be a confident expectation. And then in verse number five, we find the guarantee of that lively hope, this confident expectation. He said, who are kept by the power of what? By the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. 
So my lively hope, my incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, eternal home in heaven, uh, is guaranteed by the power of God through faith in His Word. Now you can't ask for a more stable guarantee than that. God's power and promise are absolute in their truthfulness because of the integrity of the one who made the promise. And by the time we get to verse number 13, then our excitement has built up to the point of of exploding almost. And in verses 13 through 15, he tells us how to focus that excitement and that energy about the lively hope we have of an eternal home in heaven. And he begins the sentence with this word, wherefore. Wherefore. You know what? It's, It's the same as the word therefore. What's the word therefore and wherefore? Therefore. It is there because of everything that was said just prior to that. All right, so because I have a lively hope, because I know what is in store for me, because I have a guaranteed eternal home in heaven, because it is secured through God's power, and because (coughs) of what I know to be my eternal outcome, I need to conduct myself in a way that's consistent with the name I bear. They had claimed to be the people of God. And so, as his people, they ought to be like him. I won't have you turn to it, but let me read Micah chapter 4 and verse 5 for you. For all people will walk, everyone, in the name of his God, little g, in the name of his God. And we will walk in the name of the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. In your King James Bible, when it's spelled that way, it is Jehovah God. In the name of the Lord, our God, forever and ever. It's a great truth that people everywhere will imitate the God that they worship. You notice it says, all people will walk, everyone, in the name of his God. When I mention somebody's name, there's something that goes through your mind. Brother, uh, you're 98 years old. Tell me your name again. Yes, sir. John. Brother John walked up to me today. He said, those names you mentioned of those old-time preachers today, it took him back memory lane, and he remembered those men. Let me read some names to you, and let's see just what goes in your mind and heart. Bill Clinton, Abraham Lincoln, Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, Tiger Woods, the Apostle Paul, Lance Armstrong, Lucifer, Billy Graham, Ray Lewis, Benedict Arnold. Now, I don't even know how many that was, 10 or so. Some of those names you may have heard of, others you may not have. Certainly some of them you've seen. So when I mention someone that you've seen before, you immediately develop a picture of what that person looks like. You also maybe thought about their accomplishments and what they've accomplished, but what you really keyed in on is not what they accomplished, but what they are. It is your character that outlasts you. What a person is far outweighs anything that a person accomplishes. And we're talking about being called Christian. So when somebody looks at me that knows me, that has seen my actions, or what Peter calls conversation, lifestyle, 
when somebody looks at me and knows my conversation, knows my lifestyle, do I give them cause to say, I don't know what I want what you have because it's no different than what I have? Or do I give them cause to say, that guy's a Christian. I, want to, I don't want to bring reproach on the name of Christ. The point of that little exercise was to help us understand that it's not so much our accomplishments that survive us, but our character. And you cannot have perfect character without becoming more and more like your Savior. So our text says that we're to be holy because God is holy. The question is this then, what does it mean to be holy? The word holy is a word that means sacred, physically pure, morally blameless or religious, ceremonially ceremonially consecrated. And it's derived from a word that means to be clean, innocent, and pure. Clean, innocent, and pure. And so I want to give you three practical things to help you become holy like our Father. Two of them, they're all three going to make sense. They all deal with knowledge, understanding, wisdom. They're all three going to make sense. They're all three going to be, good night, I've heard this before. But my main saying at church, you ask any of my church members, you ask any of them, what is, what is Pastor Glover's number one soapbox? And they'll tell you three words. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. I, I, I've practiced in the mirror several ways to say that. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. I can say that a hundred different ways and we can spend the rest of the time me telling you to read your Bible. But that's one of the ways. So I say, how do I become holy? But you know why? Because it is God telling us what he wants us to know. It's God giving us knowledge. It's God telling, it doesn't mean I understand it. Good night, there are things I read in that that I go, whoa, wait, what? And I have to go back and read it again and sometimes read it again and sometimes just give up in frustration and say, Lord, you're going to have to teach me that at a later time. But it's God telling us what he wants us to know. Somebody made a really neat acronym out of B-I-B-L-E. Basic instruction before leaving earth. I love that. It is basic instruction before leaving earth. But in, in, in its essence, it is an instruction manual for life as God originally intended us to have. Uh, you know, God created Adam and Eve in a perfect world. Uh, we were, these bodies were never, death is foreign to these bodies. We were meant to be eternal immortal but sin the sin curse and so death passed upon all men why because of sin and so the bible is an instruction manual for life as god intended what did jesus himself say he said i am come that they might have life and that more abundantly god wants us to have abundant life but it's not going to be by our rules it's going to be by his and so he says to us be holy Please be holy. Don't worry about so much the do's and don'ts. Don't focus on the do's and don'ts other than doing those things because you want to become what it is I want you to become. Be holy. So, because the Bible is an instruction manual for life as God intended, it tells us how to equip ourselves with the tools that are necessary to build a proper Christian life. And the key to building something that doesn't break down is to follow the instructions exactly. I mean, if there is any real man in here, you don't need an instruction manual to put a bike together for your boy, right? I got a picture on the box, man. So you get up, 2 o'clock in the morning, give yourself a half an hour to build it just in case he wakes up at 2.30, and by 7 o'clock, you're like, whoa! 
and your wife comes down to see how you're doing, and the bike looks wonderful, but you got seven bags of things left over. And your wife says, what's all that? And you say, they always put extra in there. Not that much. So your son gets up the next morning and, duh, I got an awesome bike. And he jumps on that bike, and before he ever pedals, the pedal falls off, the handlebar goes forward, the seat goes crooked, and, and a tire falls out. You know why? Because you didn't decide, decided not to use the instruction manual. What does the instruction manual do for you? Listen, you can look at a pastor or someone that you revere, so to speak, as a good Christian, and you can try to pattern your life after their life by looking at the picture. But until you get into the nuts and bolts of the instruction manual and do those things yourself, you're never going to build a good Christian life. You're going to build something that falls apart very quickly. And so this instruction manual, that's why I say, it's why I tell my people, listen, if you, if you tried to live physically on the number of meals that you get from church and from a pastor, you're going to be a very lean individual. Learn to feed on the Word of God on your own. Listen, salvation is personal. So is the Christian walk. And so read your Bible. Don't make the mistake of thinking that you can read it one time and build your Christian life on that. There are passages of Scripture that I read, and I cannot tell you how many times I have read that book from cover to cover. There are times when I read over a passage of Scripture, a familiar one, and go, wait, what? I never saw that before. Read your Bible. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 11 through 18. You already know it. You don't need to turn to it. But in verse number 14, we're told to have our loins girt about with truth. In verse number 14, also we're told to take on the breastplate of righteousness. In verse uh, uh, number 15, our feet are to be shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In verse number 16, the shield of faith. In verse number 17, the helmet of salvation. In verse number 17, also the sword of the Spirit. And in verse number 18, prayer. Five defensive pieces of armor, one offensive weapon, and a direct line to headquarters for calling in an airstrike. That's the Air Force coming out of me. So, 2 Peter chapter 1. If you're in 1 Peter, go to 2 Peter with me. Goodness, I'm only in the first point. Second one's quick. 2 Peter chapter number 1. This is spend time in his life instruction manual. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. So he's talking to Christians. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and our, of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature. What is the divine nature? Holiness. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, now listen, and beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, to temperance patience, to patience godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you. 
that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Eight things. The, the very first foundation is what? Add to your what? Faith. Faith cometh by and hearing by the oh, 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 oh. Read your Bible. Uh, is it a foregone conclusion that Christians can have a growing faith? We can. So let's say I get saved and I never read my Bible. I never come to church maybe once or twice a year. I get labeled as one of those C&E Christians, Christmas, Easter. And I have enough faith to have saved me. That's not enough faith to put virtue and knowledge and put those things on. To build a solid foundation. So if this this, uh, pulpit right here represented the amount of faith that I have, it only stands to reason that I have a very limited amount of virtue that I can put on top of it. Add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, charity. So I'm not going to build much of a Christian life on top of this foundation of faith. But if I get into the Word of God and I spend time in His instruction manual, I learn what God wants me to know, I can watch my faith begin to grow. I spend time under the teaching of God's Word and, 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 and my faith begins to grow and now all of a sudden my virtue, which is nothing more than my sense of right and wrong, There are things that are 20 years ago, 30 years ago, that I said, man, I don't see anything wrong with that, that I look back on that and I say, what in the world was wrong with you back then? There are things that have changed in my life, virtues that I now have, things that I used to think, there ain't no problem with that, that now I would be loath to engage in those things anymore. Why? Because my faith has grown to the point where I can put a virtue on top of that and I can build my Christian life simply by spending time in his life instruction manual. Second, I spend time in his life instruction manual, but I also need to spend time with him. I can't tell you how many times somebody has come up to me who knew my mom and dad, who knew him very well, and I'll get an expression on my face or I'll do something that that person will look at me, oh, Ford Glover, that was your dad through and through. Why? Because of the amount of time that I spent with my dad and his mannerisms rubbing off on me. You know how you spend time with God? If I could do it and my back didn't hurt and my hip and my right knee didn't hurt, I'd get on my knees and that's how you spend time with him. Read his book. Spend time with him. That'll give you the knowledge and understanding that you need. And then third and finally, Don't get your hopes up. Number three is a good one. Spend time learning how to imitate him. Listen, they put you through the paces and make you do, 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 so they become second nature to you. That's part of the nature of training. Training is giving you knowledge, giving you understanding, but then putting you through the paces and making sure you know how to put into practice what you've been taught so that it's actually useful information to you. And so this is wisdom. This is spending time learning how to imitate him. Um, I showed you in Micah 4, verse 5, that uh, in essence, that if we're going to call ourselves after God's name, then we ought to portray the character that his name brings to mind when it's mentioned. That means we've got to imitate his character in our living. My youngest son, Chad, he was four or five years old, and this, this movie came out with Kevin Durant. 
uh, played for, at that time, the Oklahoma City Thunder. I don't know who he plays for today. I can't stand the NBA. It's, uh, anyway, but this movie came out, and he loved that movie. It was called uh, Th- Thunder something or other. And what was, it, what was it called? Thunderstruck. Thunderstruck, yes, thank you. Um, and so this movie came out, and, and he watched Kevin Durant, and it's all about this young kid who had zero talent that hit the mascot in the head with a basketball. Kevin Durant picked up the ball and handed it back to the kid, and when he did, all of Kevin Durant's talent transferred into him. And Kevin lost all of his talent. Well, in the course of that movie, Kevin Durant was making some commercials. And he was saying, these are my KD5s, his tennis shoes. They make me cut like never before. Or they make me jump like never before. Or they make me run like never before. And my son, four-year-old, Chad, just loved that. He just died laughing every time he saw that. And so the uh, movie's over, and we've got a little Nerf hoop on the, on the door. And he would put his new tennis shoes on. And he said, these my KD5. I jumped never and he would jump and try to dunk the ball, or he would cut, and he would just do stupid things. I got it all on film for later on when he gets married. <laughs> but you know what he was doing? He was imitating, to the best of his four-year-old ability, Kevin Durant. And he's 15 years old today, and now the Oklahoma City Thunder are knocking on his door. Uh, but uh, he was imitating that. I was recently reading an article dealing with 15 different ways that Kobe Bryant imitated Michael Jordan. Now, the intent behind the article was not to praise Kobe Bryant. The intent behind the article was to say, he ain't nothing special, all he did was copy somebody. And I, I get through that article and I'm like, what? That guy, we don't even know the name of the guy that wrote the article anymore, but everybody knows the name Kobe Bryant. And if Kobe Bryant made a name for himself because he idolized Michael Jordan when he was a little kid and he imitated what Michael Jordan did, then more power to him. And I say to you, if someone looks at me and says, boy, you're the spitting image of what I consider to be Christ, praise the Lord. Because I imitate him. I want to imitate him in my life. I want to become what he wants me to become. I don't want to just spend my life doing the things that he tells me not to uh, <laughs> Yeah. To do, boy, I about, I about stepped in it there, didn't I? Spend my life doing the things that he tells me not to do. Uh, you understand what I mean. Go to Matthew 4. Matthew 4, I will hurry. I only have a, eight or nine more verses to have you turn to. Yeah. Matthew 4. I just, listen, who cares if people don't know your name? Do they know Christ because of you? Matthew 4, verse 17. This marks the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. He had just gotten through the temptation after his baptism, and now the beginning of his ministry. From that time, Jesus began to preach. Verse 17, sorry, Matthew 4, 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. Now, again, this is, this is where Jesus' earthly ministry began in earnest. And it's just after his time with temptation of the devil. John had been thrown into prison. And we see in verse number 17 
that, uh, that he goes by Peter and James and, and says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Now that word follow is a word that literally means get up right now from where you're at and physically come after me. And the intent behind it, the tenor of the Greek there is get up where you're at right now, leave what you're doing, follow in physically behind me with the purpose and intent of becoming my disciple. And so they did. So here's Jesus telling these men to get up and become his disciples. And in verse 20, it shows us that they did exactly that immediately. They followed Jesus. And that particular word means that, means that when they said, and they followed him, it's a different word. It means that they followed him and joined him to become his disciple. And my point is that Jesus was telling them to follow him in order to spend time with him so that they could learn to imitate what he did. He was going to teach them by example, and he wanted them to become something. And so my, other, my oldest son, Jared, when he was four, he wanted to do everything I did. Now, that was awesome, and that was cute for a while until he started to kind of get in my way of things. Now, I never discouraged him from wanting to, because I loved it. My son wants to be like me. I mean, when I would shave, he wanted to shave. When I would work on the sprinkler system at the house, he would want to get his hands muddy and get his. When I would maybe in the house be doing some drywall mud or something like that, boy, I got a picture of him head to toe in drywall mud. He wanted to do everything I did. One thing in particular, um, you know, when I put my tool belt on, he's oh, mom, dad's got his tool belt on, so he had to go get his plastic tools and start pounding things. Um, but one thing in particular that he did when he saw me do it, no matter what he was doing. He would stop and he would announce to mom, oh, mom, dad's got his slippers on. I need my slippers. And he would go get his slippers and he'd put his slippers on. I mean, it was constant. What it was about the slippers, I have no idea, but it was cool to me. I was like, man, my kid wants to be like me. I mean, there's something about that that just does a dad good. One particular morning, uh, of course, four-year-old, his bed's early, and uh, he's in bed, and my wife and I go to bed, and as is my habit, I take my, sh- my slippers off and I put them next to my bed. And I get up in the morning early enough and that, that nobody else is up, and uh, I slip out of the side of the bed and I go to put my feet in my slippers. And I don't know, I'm not a morning person. I, I mean, I can get up when I have to get up. You know, the military got me doing that, but I don't like it. You know, I'd rather, you know, as far as I'm concerned, the sun just appears in the sky. It doesn't come up, you know. But... I was, it was dark, I got out of bed, and I'm like, what in the world? I couldn't get my feet in my slippers. So my eyes adjusted just a little bit, and I picked them up. And sometime during the night, that little guy got up and brought his slippers in and put them in mine. And I sat there on the edge of the bed like this. I said, God, let me see you through my son's eyes. I thought, what a responsibility. Here I got a little four-year-old boy that wants to be everything his daddy is. And here's an adult man that wants to live his own life many times by the dictates of his own flesh. 
God, let me see you through my son's eyes. I'll tell you what, it's a stark realization. I want to show you one more thing. John 5. John chapter number 5. Look at verse number 19. Keep in mind, if you're a dad and that's ever happened to you, you kind of understand what I'm saying when there's a proud daddy moment when things like that happen. There's just something about that that brings I found myself, all of my kids are like that. I just used Jared as the example there. They've all done things like that. And I have found myself when they began to display that attitude toward wanting to be like me. I have found myself somewhat conspicuously announcing what I'm going to do next because I know my kids are going to want to do what I'm doing. Like, Jeannie, um, I'm going to go, and you name the thing. And I say it loud enough where my kids can hear it, but not so loud that it's obvious that I want them to know. Because I want them to want to do what I'm doing without me saying, come follow me, right? And so I found myself being conspicuous about that, and I was going through the Bible one time, you know, through Bible reading. Look at John 5, verse 19. This is Jesus talking, if you have a red-letter Bible. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, The Son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the Father do. For what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. Now, that makes sense, right? We we learn from watching our daddy, and we let him train us and teach. Okay, look at the next uh, verse. For the Father loveth the Son, and showeth him all things that himself doeth. And he will show him greater works than these that ye may marvel. I want to tell you something. When you want to be like Christ and you make it obvious, guess what? He begins to make himself conspicuous to you so that you will follow him and do the things that he wants you to do so that you can become what he wants you to become. And becoming what you are supposed to become is the abundant life. We make Christianity so difficult. I'm going to stop with that. I have one more thing to give, but I think it's time. Be holy, for I am holy. Spend time in his life instruction manual. Spend time with him, and then learn to imitate him, and you watch. I'll take you over to John 15. Abide in me, and my words about I will abide with Boy, the intimacy that God the Father and God the Son have with you as you strive to become what he wants you to become is unbelievable. Father, thank you for the time tonight. I pray that you'll put your hand of blessing on your word as it's been preached. I pray that there's a people. This is super simple. It really is. Read the Bible, pray, and imitate you. Those are simple things, but what an eternal reward they gain us. Please bless your people tonight. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.